Real Bad is part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. If you want to explore more podcasts about movies and nostalgia, head over to cageclub.me and check out some of our friends. Hello and welcome to another episode of Real Bad, the podcast where we talk about real bad movies and why they want to hurt us. I am your host, Nick Jenkins, and I am joined, of course, by my bitter rival, Matthew Gatos. Hello. Hey, that's me. And we have two people that are going to talk about an interesting film today with us. First is Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hello. Good to have you back. I'm great. I'm great to be here. You are I'm great to be, to be here. here. <laughs> You're great. You're all welcome. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> and Sari Riley. How are you doing, Sari? Hello. I'm good. Good. Um, today we are talking about a low-budget horror film that is called Beyond the Gates. It's fairly new. 2016, I think, is the date that it mm-hmm. uh, was released, at least. Uh, the only name actor in it is Barbara Crampton, who is a goddamn legend from things like Reanimator and From Beyond, uh, Chopping Mall, like a whole bunch of great low-budget horror films. And... Um, yeah, this film has some issues, and uh, we're going to talk about it. At least, it, here's the big thing. I I watched this film, and then I was very frustrated about it, but then I found out it had like an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's when I got very confused, <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I, de- I think that's when I decided I really wanted to have it on the podcast. Um, so I want to talk about that, but before we get into this, before we really get into the, the meat and potatoes of this <laughs> film, uh, we need to do a 60 second plot dump. And, uh, just because he hasn't been here for a while, Tobin, oh boy, oh. you're going to be, you're going to be our plot dumper. Excellent. I usually prepare more for this. <clears throat> I thought I had to do it, so I'm prepared, but I well, don't have to. You it's told great. me that you were prepared, so I was like, well, then I can't pick. Oh. Excellent. I'm sorry, Tobin. Strategic. <laughs> good, good work. Oh, yeah. I'll just always prepare now. I'm so or at prepared, least you guys. Tell him yeah, you just need to tell me. I'm so prepared, Nick. It's a I've classic student thing where <laughs> yeah. you walk in and you go, like, I know this. I know this so well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like the reverse of like when you try to hide from the teacher in class and yeah. they yeah. end up picking right. you. It's right. that like, if I volunteer, maybe they won't pick me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay, Tobin, are you ready? I, sure, sure. All right, 60-second plot dump for Beyond the Gates in three, two, one. Two sort of estranged brothers return to their hometown uh, to pack up their dad's video store. He has disappeared, uh, and he owned a, a old VHS store. And while they're there, they discover this game that you play with a with a movie with a VCR mm-hmm. tape, uh, and that opens some portal to some sort of other horrific dimension. And then people start dying around them as they have to sort of solve the mystery of this game to save their dad from the. Which all sounds better than it was. <laughs> save their dad from whatever place he's dimension he's caught in through the uh, through this gate that appears because of the way they play the game. And there's a lot of gore, and there's a lot of uh, and later on in the movie a lot of blood. And um, then they they save his soul but not his body, and uh, sort of go off, I guess, happily ever after at the end. And that's kind of the end of the movie. Five seconds to spare. Seven yeah. seconds to spare. Very good. Very, That's very a well. solid recap, I think. Yeah. yeah. There's not a lot happening no. in this movie. <laughs> there, yeah. There's not a lot to it. And I, I think something that you said in that is where I'd like to begin, which is this sounds more interesting than it is. When I saw the little Netflix breakdown of it, I was like, That's for me. Mm. I wanna see that movie. I love campy eighties horror. I love some referential stuff from the eighties. I love board games and I I loved that little period of time where there were the VHS board games like Nightmare, um, Rap Rat, 
Um, atmosphere. Atmosphere. So that was the one I remember from the kid, like seeing the commercials of this like creepy Emperor Palpatine looking dude being like, atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> so be it. Yeah. Um, Very good. There's just a lot that this just sort of checked all of the boxes for me. And then watching it, I was really shocked at how much nothing is there. And that kind of offends me in <laughs> in, in a very special way. But I, I think before we get too far into this, I'd like to know just sort of like what were your expectations going into this? And then what was your experience watching it? I want to start with Sari. I read the description after you sent it because I had never heard of it before either. And I knew that I was going into it without any nostalgia because I'm too young to be <laughs> nostalgic about this stuff. As we were talking about before the podcast. Yeah. Ooh, question uh-huh. to put some context to this. Have you ever owned a v- VCR? Yes. My okay. dad owned a VCR, and I remember recording Scooby-Doo, which we were talking about before the podcast, yeah. <laughs> good, good. and Winnie the Pooh episodes, and I would like play those tapes over okay, and over so and over you again. have touched a VHS tape. I've touched a VHS <laughs> tape. I know how to use it. I went to Blockbuster and rented VHSs from there, but never like a home video store. Gotcha. Um, I didn't know that VHS board games were a thing until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had Atmosphere, and never, I don't think ever actually played it like I think I asked for it for Christmas I got it and I would watch the VHS <laughs> like just watch it and kind of like have the board game out and like kind of not play along because I was by myself I would just like watch the right watch mm-hmm. the story that they had for me on this tape That's and I've amazing. since like found someone has uploaded that entire tape to YouTube which was fascinating to like <laughs> revisit especially when you don't currently have the board game in front of you but it, it definitely was a thing yeah it was of, like that sort of you're interacting with the TV as much as was possible. But anyway, continue, please. Um, I grew up, my grandpa really likes B-horror movies, so I think I got desensitized to that kind of like gore, flashy violence um, when I was really little. So I was looking forward to this movie for that reason, because I like video game board games. Uh, I like when people play with that in a film format, Mm -hmm. and I like funny gore. Uh, and I was hoping that that would all coalesce, <laughs> but it ended up feeling just really fragmented to me. And like I, I think I talked to you immediately uh, after I came back and after I had watched it. And yeah, because like, you were on vacation. Yeah, but I, I watched it with my dad, who also really likes B horror movies, and we were just bored through it, and we had more fun like talking about it while the movie was happening and being like, oh, we would do this differently or like, yeah. this is really funny, but like, this is what we had hoped would happen and this is what actually happened. So shrug. Um, I, I, I've talked to each one of you individually, probably Tobin the least, um, but I think that is going to be the most fun part is talking about how we fi- <laughs> fix it because yeah. all of us have like, why didn't you? <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Tobin, what, what was your expectation going? I mean, you knew that you were going to watch it going into a podcast about bad right. movies. So, but like, I don't think bad movies are necessarily unenjoyable. Like I've watched quite a few that are enjoyable and I'm sure you have too. Right. So what was your expectation? And so I, I knew nothing. About, I didn't read the description. I just found it on Netflix, pushed play and okay. just let it wash over me. <laughs> um, and, and it, and it did in kind of a damp, lukewarm kind of way. Um, I, I, in a moldy it, <laughs> yeah, washcloth. Yeah. Needed a shower afterwards kind of way. So you put a finger on it, it feels like the, this movie, I felt like committed to the cardinal sin of being boring. Yep. It just does not live up to any, any part of its premise in a way that it is at all, at all satisfying and feels like it was a lot of first ideas and never sort of went 
beyond that to second ideas. And so, I, yeah, I just, it was, it, was kind of, it was dull. And you could see inside it a movie that could have been fun in any number of ways. You, you could go a number of ways with it, and it just didn't. Almost so. any scene. <laughs> right. Almost any scene in this movie, you can go, well, okay, that, <laughs> if you just went that direction, right, right. the whole movie would have been better. Right. And which is, it's like this, you've got a shower of good ideas. <laughs> just pick one of the drops and go with yeah, it. That's what it felt like. Like the first ideas thing mm-hmm. seems to really resonate where they just threw a bunch of things together and didn't actually like sift through them right, and pick right. which ones that they wanted to follow up on. Yeah. Totally. I would actually say it's a little deeper than that, but we'll get back to yeah. that in just a second. Matt, you're not much of a horror guy. I'm not a huge horror guy, especially newer horror. Like, I don't, I mean, it's kind of judgmental, but I just kind of cast it all aside until, like, I hear someone mention something specific about, like, no, okay, this one is actually good. I'm like, right, like, get out. Right. Like, if someone yeah. says, like, watch Get Out, I'm like, cool, I will do that. I hear great things, and it was great. But most horror movies these days I just have zero interest in, and I don't have a ton of nostalgia for older horror movies because I watched some of the Nightmare on Elm Street's but that was about it mm-hmm. growing up. Um, the movie itself, like when you told me what we were going to be talking about, I was interested in the premise. And then I watched <laughs> the trailer and I was a little lukewarm even on the trailer. Like I watched the trailer for it. I'm like, this looks cheap in a, like a bad way. Like it, it, it doesn't look like they handled their budget well. Um, and it just looks kind of meh. But I, in watching it, there were so many times where agreeing with, both Sari and Tobin is like there are good ideas and there are many times when you're like okay they're gonna do this I'm gonna <laughs> love this and then they just do the opposite of what you think they should do or feel like mm. they would do and they don't like swerve you in a good way no like there are times I'm watching movies and I'm like well clearly this is gonna happen that's what should happen now in movies right. and they do the opposite and you're like oh yeah, cool yeah, you got me <laughs> this was that like oh okay cool so they're gonna do this next and I go Oh, they're just going to go to bed again? <laughs> again. Like, this is the fifth time she's like, I'm going to go to bed. And you're like, again? <laughs> why don't why? Yes. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah. So again, same thing. I think the, across the board, we all have similar feelings of wasted opportunity, uh, lots of setups that have no payoffs. They didn't worry about the threads that like would go throughout the movie. Like they introduce a concept of like mm-hmm. a picture falling off the thing. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to assume, like, okay, so is there a ghost in the house? We don't ever know. They don't ever teach us or like if this, if this is haunted. The one time a demon man shows up, he just looks like a teenager who wandered into the house, and we don't know what he has to do with anything. And so they just took a bunch of horror movie elements, like, threw them at a filter, and, like, whatever came out, like, that was their movie. Right, and that goes into, I think, one of my main points about this is, it's a lot of not necessarily even first ideas. It's simply borrowed ideas without the context of why those ideas worked. Mm-hmm. So like the idea of the the picture frame falling off of the fireplace. Well, that works in a film where someone is trying to tell you something, where a ghost is trying to tell you something, yes. where something is happening. But that serves no purpose right. in no, this movie. No communication there, here. Yeah. Nothing. And they have elements of that throughout, too, of like. At one point, the woman from the tape, her picture appears on the mantle. That doesn't go anywhere. He wakes up at the same time every night hearing voices. Maybe his dad's? Who knows? One time there's a demon there. What? Ah. But like... And then multiple times in there, some effective... There's like effective filmmaking. Yes. And it's, it's really frustrating. So to me, I think the major failing... There are other failings, but like the major failing of this film is in the screenplay. Like... 
The actors are decent to better than decent. <laughs> I think I'm on Tobin's side. Okay. I'll let you, we'll, we'll, we'll come yeah. back to that. Okay, keep going, though. You're uh, on a roll. In terms of shot selection and how we're visually communicating what little there is to communicate, I, the second time I watched it, yes, I watched it two times, um, <laughs> I was specifically looking for, like, bad camera work or things like that, and I wasn't seeing it. It was like... Decent camera work, not very good production design. I don't. I. I. You. So this uh. was a. This was a three hundred thousand dollar movie. Now that is cheap in when you're thinking about you Hollywood know, terms. Hollywood terms. Globally, yeah. But yeah. my real good at the end of this is less than half of that, and did <gasps> much two. more. Sorry. Go oh, ahead. Okay. oh God. Movie. I wonder if it's the same one. <laughs> um, probably not. But I. <laughs> um, so I think also, Matt, you mentioned like they didn't use their money well. And I think that's absolutely mm -hmm. true. Well, because they have like when you look at it, it looks like it's shot well. There's some special effects that you're like, that's pretty impressive. But it felt to me like they used all their money in the wrong places. And like this film is largely shot all in one house. Which that's can a, be cool. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm OK with that. Yeah. But I'm saying like that's a big money saver as far as your budget right, goes. Right, like right. you didn't pay $200,000 to use that house. Like you paid maybe ten, twenty thousand dollars to ask someone to use their house. Maybe they even let you use it for free. Who knows? But like the the production design was one thing where I yeah I didn't feel like this house was somewhere they grew up. I felt like this house was built five years ago because it probably was because that's what it looks like. Um, the they board tried. game design <laughs> looks like it was made yesterday. Like this is a big problem. So yeah. we talk about the board game design, but I have one specific moment that I think says everything you need to know about the production design. And that is very close to the opening. You see a painting on the side of the the um, the, the video store mm -hmm. that's like monsters and like it's Mount Rush Monster, I believe. Oh, OK, is what cool. <laughs> so, yeah, you got like Dracula and Frankenstein and everything. And the paint is crisp and clean and new. Flash forward 20 years. And the paint looks fresh and clean right. and right. new. Mm -hmm. Bullshit. Right. That's a failing of production design. Yeah. Production design should have been in there and said we need to fade the paint. Right. And uh, I think... Which also would have helped communicate visually what was going on. <laughs> right. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because they flash forward and they don't tell us when they're flash forwarding to. We just have to assume like, so this is just now, I guess, because that was 1992. Yeah. So I guess this is now. Um, but that, I will say as far as production design goes, and I think this wasn't something they had to do much work on the video store itself interior looks great because it's a real place that's what i assume <laughs> yeah is like it looks like that sort of i see them more of like bookstores is what i see like that where you walk mm -hmm. in you're like i don't know how to find anything in this place <laughs> yeah, yeah. and i love that <laughs> and that's what it felt like is the videos from the floor to the ceiling on every wall and it looked really good. But yeah, I did assume that they found a video store right. and were like, how do we make a movie using this video right, store? Right, right. Yeah. Right. But since we're talking about storytelling and screenplay, I'd, I'd like to turn it over to our, our two guests today. Um, Tobin, you and I talked specifically about how you use this in class. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, to, you, we just had a really quick text conversation yeah. about it. But I'm like, how did you utilize this film? in a classroom full of students, because as soon as you told me, I was like, this is what I thought when I first saw it, is I want to show this to students. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that. I, I um, recommend is a strong word. I, <laughs> I mentioned it to a um, uh, screenwriting cl cl class of college students who are sort of junior, sophomores and juniors studying screenwriting. And 
and um, told them that they should maybe check it out, or at least the first half an hour or so, uh, because it, uh, a thing that often beginning screenwriters tend to do, I know, certainly know I did, is not um, carry ideas and emotion uh, and logic from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, take these sort of first ideas or to not explore ideas or characters in any kind of depth. And, you know, the, the, this is meant to be these two, these two brothers who sort of, I guess, maybe kind of don't, kind of don't get along and their dad's been missing for five years. And th- that, that, no, should, seven months. Sorry, 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 five, seven months. Sorry. Yeah. But so five months. years he's been disappearing well, that's what, off and yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, but there's no, you, you never really feel any of that scene to scene when the, when the, um, I forget their name names who's the brother with the glasses the sort of uptight one yeah it's gordon named, and johnny yeah gordon who we assume is named after Stuart gordon the great schlock uh, filmmaker yeah yeah, yeah. Another, that's another what, borrowed thing that's yeah. what that movie does this is what this <laughs> yeah. movie does is borrow i just things. thought he looked a lot like the can you hear me now guy i thought he looked like harry potter i think he's really miscast <laughs> in this movie. we can all agree on yes that I, one. I, yeah. yeah sure and and miss um he should have a different haircut. He should have a different like, wardrobe. Like a lot of them should be different to set him apart from the other brother in a way, not just by having button up shirts. But in any case, he, he comes into this house that he's not been at for however long and his dad's been missing. And he like stands around the living room and his girlfriend shows up and they stand around the living room. She's never been there before. And then they go out to dinner. It's like, you're not going to look around the house. Like you're not going to go into any other room. You're not going to like, there are just some really basic things that as you watch it, you begin to sort of, I begin to sort of drift away from the movie because I've got nothing to sort of, uh, invest in it, and and so I think as a, as an example of a thing where um, a, people, young film uh, screenwriters, will write on the page something that they feel like makes sense because they've seen it in other movies, as you're saying, Nick, and then you see when that when that is actually put on screen, you're like, oh no, I see, this is this isn't, there's nothing here. Yeah, there's nothing tethering it. Right, right. Mm-hmm. To- to anything. anything <laughs> and uh, when they do make the good choices throughout the movie, because I think there are a few moments throughout this film where there are effective scenes mm-hmm. and you feel like, all right, we're turning it around. <laughs> <laughs> they immediately, the next scene, like you said, is unrelated right. and boring. Like right. they just decide to go out to dinner in the middle of a tense <laughs> thing. And it's like, why, right. why did you do that? And it's only to set up another thing right. that goes nowhere. Right. I feel like they had ideas for each of the characters, but Mm. they didn't know how to make those follow through. It felt to me like... Some they came up with all these ideas for the characters and like put sticky notes for each one. It was like, okay, we have Gordon. What is going to be his interesting thing? Oh man, maybe he like went through a drinking problem, but he's still with this girlfriend, so that can be his little mystery. But he, uh, and he feels this way about his dad, and he feels this way about his brother, and then they just like stuck him in the story <laughs> and kept him with those same motivations mm-hmm. throughout it. And they did that with every character, so it was like, take Margot, his girlfriend. She like loves Gordon for no like an inexplicable <laughs> reason, even though he was really abusive to her. Uh, and, and that's about as much as we get to know about her. That's it, yeah. Like. And she's there to be possessed at the end of the story. Uh, and, but that was like her thing. And there was no development of any of them. They just had these pieces and were like, okay, and go. Right. And this, so another borrowed thing, right, is The Shining. Um, Jack Torrance is an alcoholic who grabs his son too hard and hurts his arm. That's one of the main setups in The Shining. The Shining is a story about abuse. Mm -hmm. That's what that story is about. And so you tether it. With that and with his relationship to his wife and his relationship to isolation and alcoholism and like it's all tied together because it's made by good filmmakers. (laughs) Um, But here, what does him being an alcoholic have to do 
with anything? What does it have to do with him, with anything to do with his father? It feels like there should be something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there but could be. And there could there be. There could, could be. be something about his father's, you know, if his father is sort of being lost in this game every once in a while and disappearing. And is he disappearing from his life at times when he can't control, when his alcoholism takes over? Like, there, there are things you could do thematically. It's just that it does mm-hmm. chooses not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> they, like, slightly allude to a couple moments in there where they allude to that, like, Gordon had it rough with dad when he was a kid or something like that. So I'm like, okay, so did dad drink and beat him? Is that what they're saying? But they don't go far enough to say that, that mm-hmm. I have to like assume that's what they mean. And maybe they're trying to sow that seed of like, he's afraid of becoming like his dad. So that's why he, when the first thing happened, he stopped drinking. But the whole him stopping drinking thing serves so little purpose in this movie that I was just constantly waiting for the scene of like, Oh, he's so stressed out and freaked out by this board game that he's going to drink. And then he's going to – no one – like she's going to turn against him in a way and he's going to feel rejected and all these things that could have happened to make the alcoholism storyline matter don't happen. And I think part of the problem for me too is it felt like they didn't use the board game mechanic well enough. Mm. Like – by it, well enough, you mean at all. At all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, was, it was like the structure of the story and it was the device with uh, – like that propelled everyone forward. Like they had to flip over these four cards. These four events had to happen and it was very clearly telegraphed. Like four people were going to have to do a thing for them yeah. to get to their dad because the fourth card was the father. Yeah. But um, basic storytelling problem here. They don't have to do anything. Yeah, they don't make any no. choices. Like, they, they, it just happens to them. Something, like, they find a voodoo doll, end up killing a person, and have no emotional significance for that. Well, and, like, I think don't even lines, choose to do the, it, really. You're right on the money with the board game because it's also, like, pause that movie and look at that board game. It, <laughs> it, looks, it looks like Clue. Yeah. Like, it essentially mm-hmm. is, like, set up, like, rooms in a house, and... The very first thing they do is they roll. I think they roll snake eyes or something like that. And it says, like, all right, go to this thing. Here's this card. They look at that, and they look at the thing, and they're just like, hey, that's our backyard. And they just go outside and start (laughs) digging. And it's like none of that had to do with what just happened in the game. The roll didn't matter. The rooms on the board don't ever matter because the only thing that ever matters about the board itself is that it looks like their house. And so they go outside and dig up and that's where they find the voodoo doll. But you're right that after that, they decide that they're like, okay, so that was the first card. So there's three more cards that are gonna be bad. Let's just flip them all and look at them. They look at them and then those things just happen. Mm -hmm. And the only time they really play into the board game mechanic is like with the keys. They have to collect these four keys. And so they bring back the first key and then they go to the basement and there's this giant Stonehenge type gate in the basement and they just go fuck that let's li- let's leave that alone and i'm like okay so you're just telling me that the game <laughs> mechanic is irrelevant mm-hmm. like yeah. yeah it is you it, you brought a gate the movie's called beyond the gates <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to need them to go through that gate and the one time they try there's a guy that grabs them and they go Ugh, let's not touch that thing ever again and i'm like then don't know. Mm-hmm. That's just bad. Yeah. Bad yeah. storytelling, bad setup. Your movie's not about a board game. You think it is. That's the thing that I didn't know how to articulate. Now It's like they never played a board game in their entire <laughs> life. Right. Because there's just, 
no mechanics going on there. Like, do you roll a dice? Do you flip over cards here? Who knows? Just do whatever the lady on the TV is telling yeah. you. They were given player colors that never matter. Yeah. Oh, no, they do matter because they're the same color as the shirts they were wearing. That's the only way they matter, though. But like that was the only thing. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed that on my second watch through and I was going, are those colors the same? Yeah. Oh, God, that's all they did. Yeah. That is all they did. Right, right, right. I those pieces to, move on their own. Yeah. But they don't need to move. No. Like, there's never a thing of like, go to the blah, blah, blah. No. And it's like. In fact, they're not allowed to play the game because the game moves by itself. Like, yeah. they can't mm-hmm. even, even if there were, even if it was, and I wrote that down too. Like, how can you play this game? There's no game here. <laughs> there <laughs> is no game. And we brought, like, we haven't brought it up yet, but like, the most obvious comparison of this movie is Jumanji and Zathura, I guess. But like, mm-hmm. uh, well, is, and Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Right, but has anyone here seen that? I have. Oh, okay. Was it fun? Welcome to the jungle. Um, it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of. Fun. I liked the original Jumanji better. It yeah. was like it was a kids' movie. It was a wild romp through mm-hmm. the jungle with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> I do like a romp. But yeah. the the thing about both, I haven't seen Jumanji two, so I can't vouch for that. But that's a video game. I think based it's based on a video game uh, version of Jumanji. But like Zathura and Jumanji are both based on board games that when you play them, your real life is impacted and real things come into the real world. Like things from the game come into the real world. You might be sucked into the board game. Like it's a similar premise there. But what I think they do both in Jumanji and Zathura well is the moment they realize that like things are going poorly, their number one goal is like we have to finish this game because we don't want to deal with any of this anymore. Let's play this as quickly as possible. Let's get through this. How can we win? And throughout this movie, <laughs> they play this board game like they're playing like Championship Risk or something. <laughs> it's like, we've got seven days. Who cares? Our dad's soul is trapped in a board game. Eh, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> like, why do you not, like, the first night after like you realize you've killed a man to win this board game, not stay up for the next three or four days finishing this game. Mm-hmm. Not only killed a man, but killed what is presumably John, I think the brother's name. Yeah. Johnny. Like, jo- his, his only His very friend. good friend. Yeah, his <laughs> only friend in this shithole town. <laughs> yeah. Which they, I have a question for you guys because for me, that scene, his name is Hank. Hank dies and they get a call saying he died, and then they're talking about it at the table, and they say something about, like, an ex-girlfriend got drunk and murdered her boyfriend or something like that. Like, that's how they say he died. So I'm guessing the bartender's getting the blame for that. But then, like, two scenes later, we get Margot <laughs> showing up at the the store of the creepy man who used to own the board game and says, like, we think the board game killed our friend. And it's like... You do? (laughs) Because you didn't say that to us ever as the audience. We didn't see you figure that out. If you know that, that's an important plot point. And you should be aware of like, oh, yeah, everyone's going to die who was on Mm -hmm. those cards. Mm -hmm. And none of that like revelation is ever seen. And so did you guys think that they had known about him? Or was that just me who missed there, there are a couple failed moments in there that like that are that I would describe definitely as like filmmaking failures, failures to communicate information and and failures, some weird failures. Like it's extraordinarily obvious who is on that card. Yeah. The moment they flipped it over, I was like, oh, it's Hank. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it, it, it's it's clearly yeah. Hank. And, and then she that's even the moment says, where they go like, oh, let's go to the backyard. I'm like, you should be freaking out that this board game has your friend in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's there's that. But also like. 
she the uh, Barbara Crampton's character, the the woman in the television, even says something like his alcohol poisoned insides or something mm-hmm. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but they're kind of like, huh? You know, it's like, they don't even they don't even acknowledge the fact that like well, it kind of looks like Hank, doesn't it? Right. Like if we were you playing know, a board game and I flipped over a card and a card looked just like Tobin, I'd be like, hey, guys, look at this. That's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a game that we have played. There is a game that we have played and the character's name is Bob Jenkins and he looks like me. <laughs> right. It's funny. Like, like you bring you that up. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like if he's your friend, like Johnny should have been like, kind of looks like Hank. And like, as long as they acknowledge it, I would have been okay with them kind of ignoring it after that. Yeah. But at least, yeah. And, well, and it, it then, spreads because they get the rest of the cards and they acknowledge they're like, oh, this one looks like Margot. That one's going to be Margot. But they skip over the fact that the other two are lying there. One is their only other friend who's still alive. <laughs> and the other one is their dad. And it says the father on it. And they never acknowledge that card. Ah. but then taking this a step further I have three things I want to say about Derek who is the cop Mm -hmm. I forgot his name I was like who's Derek first of all calls him the noble one is he noble we don't know anything about him Mm -hmm. he's a cop the scene where he comes in and sees that there's only static on the TV could have been really cool could have been very interesting but Again, I fall into this thing of like you wouldn't just let him walk out, well, it thinking also it's a practical me, joke. I, to me, I was like, is the tape afraid of the police? Like, is this like, yeah, haunted? What is the po- like? Is this haunted board game? Like, don't call the cops on me. <laughs> like, why? Why? You know. So yeah. there's a lot of rules in there. But then my other question comes to when Derek does show up and he's gone crazy, and he starts shooting at them. Which, like, again, this could have been interesting. Well, when, because we're told. The second card is flipped and it says the noble one. It yeah. looks like Derek. He has a gun in his hand. And the tape says something about like he will show up thinking he's a hero but will try to kill you or something like that. And so we're prepared for that moment. Right. And then he does just show up. Yep. And that's it. But then after – and then they get the, the the head in their hands from just – they just have it now. It was in the garden. He picked it like, he just down, picked, picked it up. It's like a little trinket. He's like this looks like a head with a key in it. I'll yank out the key. And then mm-hmm. the, his head explodes. Mm-hmm. But then the weirdest thing happens and the most frustrating thing happens. The body just disappears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So did mm-hmm. Hank's body just disappear? I don't think it we, did. We don't think so because that feels like it would have been brought up on the phone. That feels <laughs> like nobody, hey, would, nobody no Hank, crime. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Hank got ripped apart in the middle of the bar tonight. Everyone's freaking out. And then he just disappeared. <laughs> And you can't try someone if they, you know, like she shouldn't be around. So there's that. But then this comes to another screenwriting issue, which is there are no stakes then. And no rules. No rules, no stakes. They literally murder their friend who is a cop. Yes. That should be like the moment where they are freaking out the most of like, oh, my God, not only do we kill our friend, we kill the cop. We are going to jail forever. And then his body just disappears and it's like. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Next <well>. key, please. <laughs> We're done here. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but but then why didn't that happen with Hank? Why did it happen with Derek? So they wouldn't get in trouble? Yes. Is that it? It's, it's, so, it's so that because someone said to them, oh, gosh, you know, if you kill the cop, you're going to have all these other consequences you're going to have to deal with in the script. And rather than do that, they said, oh, his body disappears. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, they have Easy. a scapegoat for everything because like they can even like they can say like Hank's body didn't disappear for some reason. Mm-hmm. But they have a scapegoat. They can say the waitress killed him somehow. 
Yeah, and yeah. it's like it's, it's all about getting into the next page, not having to rewrite all the rest of the scenes in the movie. Yeah, that the house ends up like they because they also the the demon teenager. Uh, King Diamond fan who breaks into their house uh, at right? some point. I don't know. He came through the gate. Um, but like they murder him and his body also yeah. just disappears. Right. And I'm thinking throughout this, I'm like, oh, they don't have to ever clean up a crime scene. Mm-hmm. They don't have to cover any of their tracks. Mm-hmm. Everything they do is immediately absolved. And just like at the end of the movie, we see that. Like you said in your recap, everyone lives happily ever after. Mm-hmm. There's not even a tease that like <laughs> something might go wrong. They find out that literally nothing has changed, like with their father. His soul is free, mm-hmm. but like they just, they've known that for two days that it was trapped. And they had to murder two friends in order to free their dad's soul. So, it worth it? Uh, I don't think so. Um, and it ends with this really pithy line of like, focus on the living, not the dead. <laughs> like, yeah. when did that, they come that, up that with that? That was never the problem in the movie. This has not been the problem. Yeah. That's not our theme. Yeah. Like, our yeah. theme is not, we should be focusing on the living <laughs> here. Yeah. Like, and if it was, badly used. Cause it, I, I think that's most of the things, though. It's like, I think they thought they were doing more than they did. I think they had ideas and they're like, people will get that. Mm-hmm. Or they know why we're doing this. And, we don't. We can assume some things, like what I was saying earlier about the alcoholism, is all assumed. That is not in the script. And I think we have to fill in too many gaps. Absolutely, mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some more lazy screenwriting. And that, <laughs> and, and let's just, just talk about Hank. Mm. We need a character who is unlikable. <laughs> so that when he's ripped apart, we don't really care. What if you liked him? What if he was a good person? Yeah. What if, what, what if? <laughs> like, it, why does he have to be the worst of the worst of the worst. So many worsts that they don't even fit together. <laughs> and they try to make him semi-likable with Johnny. Well, Gordy is like, why do you even hang out with that creep? And he's like, he was there for me when you weren't. And it's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, what's that about? It, it <laughs> seems like Johnny was probably arrested at some point and had to call a friend. I don't know. That's what I got out of it. Why are these two estranged? We don't ever learn that. The, there's like, no we one know. became nerdy and one became a bad boy, so of course they can't, they be, can't friends. be friends or brothers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because we get the beginning of this movie, which we've talked about a little bit too, is a scene in 1992. Oh yeah, where they're at the video store. It's like the grand opening of their dad's video store, and they all seem pretty happy and all this stuff. And then the dad gets a really concerned look on his face, and then it cuts to the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Then we come back, which like filmically. Mwah. Yeah, it, interesting. It, it that's works. interesting. Yeah. If we ever found out <laughs> why the dad was concerned, because if that's like thirty years or whatever, however many years, twenty-five years, whatever it was, from when that happened to when the movie was set, like, was the dad concerned about that board game? Did he know that existed? Oh, I think he did. I don't. But why did it take but him so long to disappear? He bought it from that shopkeeper. Did he buy it like many, many, many years ago? Well, it said in 92, which is mm. when the, the, the store opened. Okay. But like, why? Wh- wh- what was the <laughs> point? Like, but, he could have yeah. bought that at any point. Mm-hmm. Like, And also, like, there's no, if you cut out that opening scene, the movie works exactly the same. Yep. Like, right. if you have two brothers who are estranged showing up because their dad's missing, that still works without having to show this nothing scene of the store opening. We don't need to know that the store opened in 1992. That doesn't matter at all. Like, they, it doesn't come up of like, yeah, you know, I used to have the board game in my store, and in 1992 it just disappeared. It's like, no, it doesn't happen. Mm-mm. It's mm-hmm. not important. Also, I want to talk about bad casting. Mm. 
I have one specifically bad casting thing. I think I'm going to strongly disagree with you. Okay. (laughs) And that is the shop owner. Yup. Oh, he's my favorite. He's I loved him. The best. Wow. Oh God, no, I'm with like you, Nick. Okay, good. Games. Well, at least I've got someone on my side yeah. here. Yeah. I thought he was horribly miscast. Mm. Like, I think so the part funny. is fine in terms of the rest of this film. Yeah. But like, I'm just sort of like, again, I have too many questions that aren't that aren't questions like in mysteries. They're questions as in like, has he been the shopkeeper for? Yeah. A hundred years? Yeah, he's like immortal. He's That's like my theory is person. he has always been there. He knows exactly what's happening to everyone at all times, and he just lets it happen. He's an agent of chaos. Uh-huh. Uh, don't, I, I don't feel like he worked. I also feel like the shop didn't work yeah. at all either. The shop wasn't as creepy as it could have been. Like, it could have been more of like a gremlins Well, they just shop. also turned on all the lights. Yeah, all yeah. the lights were on. Look, if you're going <laughs> to yeah. lean into the thing where That's this guy- That's most of this movie is like everything's so extremely well lit you, all the this time. This guy is pale and he's 100 and how many years old or whatever. And he has this kind of, I'm, in a, I'm a community theater. I love community theater actors. But if he's doing this, doing this, if he's leaning into the, into the cliche of the shop owner who's been alive forever, then make the shop look like it's- been around forever. And yes. You step into a time warp when you go inside. And there's stuff from all over in different places. Yeah, like you could do some of the stuff in the shop You could do all shop, kinds too. of different different things in that and and dim the lights. <laughs> Have him creep or, out from the back room of or, like. Oh, sure. Hello. And you could do a thing where he like you put him on a dog. It looks like he's floating. Mm-hmm. Stuff. You know, like Absolutely. you could do all kinds of stuff like that. But. Or you you lean him away from the cliche of the person who's been alive forever and make it just like a nice, funny guy who's like the you know it's like a bu- and sort then of a you bumbling find and klutzy out. and whatever, right? Yeah. Exactly. That actually he has been sort of somehow nefariously behind this and subvert an expectation or fulfill an expectation, but don't like get high strung halfway between the two. Yes. because mm-hmm. it does it does come off a bit like. And as much as I I do agree with Sari, like I love that dude because there's like <laughs> some like levity in it mm-hmm. and just like I can laugh at this man and enjoy him. Um, but he does come off a little bit like a guy who also he could be 200 years old or he could just like to put on pale makeup and be spooky mm-hmm. like he could be just in a Halloween costume every day because that's what he likes to do but I don't know what the movie is trying to tell nope. us mm-hmm. I agree that's he was the just thing. funny which is why I liked him yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think he was funny I guess I was yeah. just I, he he tired me he was mm-hmm. one I feel like there's like five moments in this film where I actually laughed because they wanted me to laugh, mm-hmm. not because something was done. Five. I would say at least I wrote down a few of the lines. He, that I, now, see, this is the thing. We we talked about this. Yeah. He did remind me of a couple, and I went, oh, yeah, that was a good line back when I had hope that this movie uh-huh. was going to be something. So to tell you, I have t- on this one page, I have two notes written down, and the third note says, shop owner is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but two of the lines. Oh, but and I disagree. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Two of the lines that I thought were hilarious uh, is when Derek, at the beginning of the movie, Derek shows up at the video store. Um, Derek is the cop. He's the cop, mm-hmm. and he comes in, and it's clearly like one of those dynamics where, like, oh, our friend from childhood's a cop now. <laughs> like, let's make fun <laughs> of him. Um, but he like grabs his tape off the shelf, and he's looking at it. He's like, oh my god, guys, can I rent this? And they're like, you can have it. Like, we're shutting down. Whatever. He's like, this movie's the reason I became a cop, and he leaves. And as he's leaving, Gordon turns to Johnny. He's like. That's a terrible movie. And Johnny's like, he's a terrible cop. Yeah. That was good. That was And good. I was like, yeah. Ah, Johnny. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And Zing. like <laughs> and like yeah. five minutes later, they're in their like uh dad's back office and they're like searching through all their stuff. It's been this mystery. They've never been in their dad's office before, which also could have been much more well done. You uh, think? It was so <laughs> they walk in there, it's like uh, this is a boring office. Um, but in that they find a gun. Do you know what kind of crazy <laughs> shit you can find in the back of a 
fucking video yeah, store? Yeah, it, it could have been way more interesting. <laughs> Tell but, us, Nick. What kind of crazy stuff? <laughs> Lots of porn. <laughs> that's what I was waiting for. I thought that's right? what they were going to have back there. Good yeah. It wasn't just me. Yeah. I kept thinking, oh, yeah, they're going to find some weird porn back yeah. here. Yeah. And they kind of allude to possibly porn, but not enough. Like, I think you... you yeah, again. You forgot uh, to have a scene happen. Yes. You know, you have the explicit <laughs> plot points, but not an actual scene to right, give us any yeah. sense of the place. Right, right. But there is the line in that scene where uh, Johnny picks up a gun that he finds of their dad's, and uh, Gordon's like, geez, why would dad have a gun? And Johnny's like, probably to shoot stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, that, that line also tickled me. Just because Johnny is like not having any of his brother's shit, but like is also witty enough to come back at him. And uh, I, I, may, I like Johnny. I think I he's too. my favorite character. I, I agree. I think that's the best performance in this movie. Uh, of maybe of the the woman in the tape. I forget her. I mean, she fulfills the role. Uh, um, I don't even. I don't but, even think Barbara it's, Crampton's it's, that great. But in but here. he. Yeah. But I, I. There's something to Johnny to John, mm-hmm. and it feels to me like he's at least sort of. Um, he's in in every scene, not every scene. In a lot of scenes, he seems to have picked a, an action and is playing an action. Yes. And everybody else, I felt bad for them because like, they're clearly not being given anything by their director. Right. And so they're sort of flailing. They're sort of suffering under this under the weight of what they're trying to do in this movie. And and at least there's some spark to him. He seems to have a, a little bit sense of what the character is. And like I, I would I would watch him in other things. Right. And I'm not sure everybody else has the has the goods. I think especially I, I think for you guys like shopkeepers, your least favorite. For me, it's Gordon. For me, like, Gordon is the weight on the movie that is, like, not only is his character supposed to be the one holding everyone back in ways of, like, Johnny could have, like, turned out differently if Gordon would have been around to help him and all this stuff. And he's the one who is hurting his girlfriend and maybe he was turned his back on his dad and all this stuff. But to me, that can work as a character. But as, like, an actor playing that, I felt like he was just a wet blanket and just like anytime he was the focus of a scene, I did not care that much. Well, and I think I I, I can't tell if it's actor's decision or if it's right, right. Yeah, uh, that's direction or or, or, the, or the material they're working material. with. Yeah. There were moments where I was like, oh, no, he's fine. Um, and like when he's startled awake at one point, and he mm-hmm. sees that shadow. He has a wonderful moment. Yeah. So I'm thinking there's I think the material coupled with not getting direction right. uh, coupled with I, I agree with you. I think being a little miscast. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know if that's really the part he should have right. been playing. Right. Um, Johnny, I found interesting and it, it reminded me I just recently uh, Sari and I were talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark and I. You know, I had to deal with somebody being snarky on Twitter, like, isn't that the movie where if you remove the protagonist, it all stays the same? And I'm like, I don't care. It's an entertaining movie. <laughs> it's a wildly entertaining adventure story. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. But, <laughs> Who's that person? Block them. <laughs> but uh, I was uh, just I just on my lunch, I picked, just uh, pulled up a couple clips on YouTube and I was watching them. And it, it reminded me that, like, Harrison Ford is not necessarily a great. Uh, a chameleon of an actor mm-hmm. like he he's really good at playing Harrison Ford but what uh, one other thing he's also really good at which is something that a lot of high level actors are good at I'm not even going to say great but high level mm-hmm. actors who are reliable who will always give you stuff is he is always giving you stuff mm-hmm. and if you watch some of the scenes like the truck chase in Raiders mm-hmm. which is an incredible mm-hmm. sequence holy crap and a lot of that has to do with Harrison Ford when 
whenever the camera's on him, he is on. Mm -hmm. And you can tell. And I feel like that's not the same, but a similar thing with mm -hmm. the actor who was playing Johnny in here is like he was always giving us something. He was never the other actors. I felt like if if the scene wasn't about them, yeah, right, if right. the moment wasn't about them, they were just sort of present. Mm -hmm. They were like waiting right. for their line. Right. Exactly. Yes. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. That's it's like reading through the script. Da, 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 my line. Da, 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 my <laughs> line. Um, well, I'm, I think. Uh, sorry to distract for a no, second here, but like that's when when Sarah was talking about the post-it method of mm -hmm. like here's our characters, here's their traits. I don't feel like they ever drew a line between the characters mm -hmm. of like, and here's how they relate to mm -hmm. this person and have an effect on that person. It was like each of these characters is a defined person and they're just going to be thrown into each other and bounce off of each other, but never weave together. Right. Mm -hmm. And in a movie like, or let's say you have a story like 10 Little Indians, that can work. Mm -hmm. Because they're not related to each other, they didn't grow up. They're, they're, it's a mystery box where they're coming together and finding out how somehow they're related by a third party. Right. This movie, this, right. <laughs> this movie, yeah. like, is like these people are supposed to know each other very well. Like yeah. Margot and Johnny don't know each other well, but like Johnny and Gordon should feel like they have a lot of history. Yeah, yeah. And right. I don't ever get the sense of what that history was, why they became estranged what their real problems are other than he's a buttoned up businessman. Like that's his only problem he has with his brother. He's also called independently wealthy, which is I don't a think weird... he's independently no, wealthy. No, that's wait, not what that wait, means. Wait, wait, who, what? Johnny calls Gordon independently wealthy at one point, And I don't think Johnny because understands. He has a job? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he's like trying to say it as like, oh, rich boy, independently wealthy. And yeah. it's like, that's not what that yeah. really means. That's not what that yeah. means. Mm -hmm. And it was frustrating to me because Johnny doesn't seem to be the person who would not understand right. what that right. means. Right. Gordon also doesn't seem like he's rich. No. Right. Like he, he if drives he a up very in, sensible Honda. Yeah. If, if he pulled up and like <laughs> a Mercedes, <laughs> like if he has like a Mercedes, right. And then like Johnny pulls up in his purple old Camaro next to that. It was a like, Malibu. Sorry. Uh, I don't know cars. It was old and purple. Um, it's an old purple Malibu. <laughs> yeah, but he if like that dynamic is like a good one. To, but like you said, it's a sensible car. Like he's just driving like a family man car. Yeah, it doesn't make me feel like he is rich or like he tries to act better than his family. Like he's he's going to find out about his dead, presumably dead dad. Maybe you wear a button up and look kind of presentable to talk to police and people like. He does not come off to me as putting on airs. No, which I actually think might have been a more interesting mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. If he, yeah, if he pulled up in a Maserati, and then which is a very expensive car, and and then because <laughs> uh, I'm the car guy here, sorry, yeah. is that um, like a Malibu? <laughs> very far from it. <laughs> they both start with M, though, so you got that much. Yeah. Um, you know, if he just shown up and been very well off. I think then there's an interesting dynamic because you can really sit back and go, how did these two diverge? That's interesting. And his phone's going off and there's work yeah. stuff he's being tugged away to. And right. Like, he, he doesn't want to stay at the dad's house because it's like below him. Right, right. Like... If, there, if they had any lives outside of what we're seeing in, <laughs> on the screen, any yes. of these choices, make any of these choices. <laughs> the only reason Johnny has a friend is so we can kill him. Mm -hmm. um, like, that's pretty true. That's yeah. his whole like dynamic is we find out about his life when it involves Hank. So that when Hank dies, it is upsetting to Johnny. Right. Yeah, but, but again, the movie 
kneecaps itself because they made Hank such a shitty, yeah. horrible person, <laughs> like not redeemable on any level. And the only slightly redeeming things we do learn about him are well after his death and well after his awfulness. Yeah. So if like it had been like in that first dinner scene, if Hank could have been the one to leave and they're like, why do you hang out with that guy? And then he tells a good story about Hank. We're like, all right, well, he's a good friend to you, even if he's a terrible human. So that way when he dies, we might feel a little bad. Right. But no. We've only seen him be terrible until he dies. To everyone. To every single person. <laughs> and then we find out, we're like, oh, he did one nice thing once. <laughs> we think. Yeah, maybe. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> he at least answered a phone once. <laughs> well, before we move on to how we're going to fix this, there is one last thing that I want to talk about with everybody. And that is the quote unquote climax of the movie. Huh? They bought a smoke <laughs> machine and two lights. <laughs> And they're like, they put a red gel over one and a blue (laughs) gel over the other one for a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, they're like, you know how Moonlight looked real pretty? Let's make a movie that looks like Moonlight, but not as good. Um, (laughs) I just recently rewatched Moonlight. Good, good. God damn, that's a good movie. Yeah, yeah, it's not my real good because it's not related at all to this movie. No, not at all. (laughs) There are pink and blue lights in both of them. So watch that movie instead. One of those, Um, one of these movies is one of the greatest films ever made. (laughs) Yeah, guess which one it's not. Guess which one is not. Um, But yeah, the the, the climax of the movie, like the whole board game concept is collect the four keys and you can free the soul of your father. The, The keys, the first two, they have to blow up their friend's head to get it out, the the first one is the one they yank out of Hank via Voodoo Doll, and both those are like effective in their own way and set up a lot of drama for like those last two cards where we see Margot yeah. is the third card and their dad is the fourth card. So you're like, oh, there's gonna be a point in this movie where they have to reckon with the fact that they're gonna have to kill Margot to save the dad. To save the yes. dad, we're gonna have to <laughs> sacrifice the girlfriend. Yes. I'm and holding yes, my hands up yes, right yeah, now yes. because but, I'm like, what? This is what I thought was coming. Like, yes. okay. And I was willing to sit here and watch this bunch of nothing because I'm like, oh, they're going to be put into a really bad position. Well, and by the time like you kind of get to this, there's 25 minutes left in the movie, <laughs> and I real I was like, okay, so like. 10 of that has to be them dealing with the fact that they have to kill his girlfriend, right? <laughs> like, that's not going to be a quick scene that you can really sum up. But the way they do it is they basically make the third key the easiest thing to possibly ever get because for a short period of time, Margot ends up being possessed. They go down to the basement. They find her. She turns creepily at them, lunges at them once or twice, takes a couple swings. They easily grab her, like subdue her. The key just like falls out of her pocket. Or yeah, something. No, we we think it fell out of her butt or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been. It was like within her, and it was like, oh, that should have been harder to get out. Yeah, but um, like, oh. it was but very it just dumb. like falls to the floor. So they easily restrain her and easily get the key in like two seconds. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the, all of the drama of that is taken away, which then like immediately just segues in because they were running out of time, I guess, into the fourth card, which is the dad, the fourth key. And it connects back to the beginning of the movie quite well, actually, the the setup at least. Uh, they allude to, like, you have to use this special dagger that they happen to steal from the store to stab the heart of the person to win the game. So you realize, oh, they are going to have to stab their dad in the heart to free his soul and win the game. And so that, again, great setup, great tension. But then they decide... All that's going to happen is they go to the basement, they see their dad, do not hesitate for a second to stab him, 
stab him in the chest, and win. Well, they have a little, there's a little zombie kerfuffle. There are yeah, other zombies there. there. Zombie yeah. Hank and yeah. Zombie Derek mm-hmm. are there to Which fight also them. doesn't make That's any sense. No, yeah. because if their bodies disappeared, <laughs> now they're here, who knows? Or maybe they didn't. One of them didn't disappear. I don't understand. Yeah, we don't get any clear tell about that. It is cool that Margo's the one who offs them. That was pretty, like, badass. But the scene of Gordon having to kill his father, essentially, not only is this whole movie predicated on the idea of the father relationship and yeah. trying to save the father and the father's been missing, when you're finally face-to-face with him, that should be the most emotional, right. most heavy right. moment of this movie. He should struggle of, like, Margot being like, you have to do it, Gordon. Like, you have to stab him. Do He's it. Like, I can't. Like, I, can't. I can't do it. He's my dad. And then his dad attacks him and he's like you can't do it or son. his dad doesn't and just stand or you know, yeah. there's, there's some there's there's just there's so there. much that could have <laughs> happened but all that does happen is he like knocks his dad to the ground and his dad's like gonna stab your dad in the back and then he says nothing for a solid 10 seconds he stares <laughs> at him and then cuts his heart out and then the game is over they win they find Which you out. had a great quip for that. Well, uh, to be fair, I will attribute that to my girlfriend, Devin. Uh, <laughs> we were watching it, and there's a couple times in this movie where we're like, why didn't they say a thing there? And that was one where she like, she was like, he should have just been like, like, no, I'm going to stab you in the front and cut mm-hmm. out right, his heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you set up this perfect horror movie cheesy punchline of like, you stab your dad in the back and just be like, no, and then stab him in the chest. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to, you have to say it. Just like say no. Say something. Mm-hmm. Do something. <laughs> Make it matter. But instead... I've never seen you so frustrated. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. This is a frustrating movie because... There's so many good ideas. Yeah. like that. Yeah. And they win the game. And then it doesn't matter at all either. Nope. Because like, they say, like, oh, I thought we were going to save him. And it's like, nope, just his soul is free of the board game. He's still dead. No, it's worse than that. Because he says, I thought we were going to... Something like, I thought we were going to save him. And then, the, and then oh, Gordon yeah. says... I think we did. Or something yeah. like that. It's, just, it's like that's when he chooses to say something yeah, witty. Horrible. Ugh. Horrible. Mm-hmm. And then what? they just walk out of the house yeah. Yeah, and like, everything is fine. <laughs> but then not since Nick Fury showing up in <laughs> Iron Man at the end credit after the uh, credits. Yes. We have an end credit scene. <laughs> yes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't skip the most important scene of oh, the movie. Oh, shit, you're right. After everything <laughs> wraps up right. happily ever after, they leave the house, we cut back to the creepy shopkeeper. My boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me and Sari's best friend. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Ted? Sure. Um, I think it's Elric. I Googled it That's much it better than Ted. <laughs> um, uh, Elric, that's a name. I, I na- One of my worst little stories that I ever wrote when I was in high school in the main villain was Elric. Oh, maybe you wrote this movie. Oh, from a different time? Yeah. Yeah, I could see being a high school student in writing. Yeah. But yes. the, we cut back. It's the to... best looking high school film ever made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are so many people in the credits of this movie. I was astounded. But they cut, right? they cut to like the shopkeeper and a guy walks in, walks up to the counter and just says, you have anything from the 80s? <laughs> and the shopkeeper so reaches down <laughs> and grabs the board game beyond the gates that we've all seen them play. And he hands it to him. And that's the end of the movie. He says, do you like board, board games? games? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the hardest I laughed the whole movie. <laughs> and then we get the credit sequence. Yeah, after the credits, it cuts to just a shot of Barbara Crampton, the woman in the television, just staring at you. And again, Matt and I were talking about this. You could have had some mm, moments mm, there. Mm. Maybe she just she's silent for a while and then says... 
turn your lights all the way down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something. Have her do the introduction as if you're about to play the game. Yeah. Anything. <laughs> but I think what had happened was they had some extra footage. <laughs> yes, yes. From exactly. her shoot. And exactly. we're like, put it at the end. It'll be creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I have a question, and that is, why do we make horror movies? Like, why do we as a culture, as, as, as people, not as, not as, you know, Westerners or whatever, just as people, like, why do we make horror movies? And this is a big deal to me because I taught a horror class for a long time, and I love horror movies. We make them to titillate, to excite, you know, to uh, so you get the rush of being chased um, or the, you know, the the sort of uh, explosive gore where it's just it's 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 so over the top. It's fun. Neither of those things happen in this movie. There are a couple flashes of it. And that's when Hank is first killed. I'm like, I'm like, oh, OK, this is where this yeah, movie's his going. guts just shoot out of him. Right. And but then. Nothing like that ever really happens again. Uh, the other is to do a commentary about the society with within which you live. Nothing here for that either. We have no idea what world they live in. No, or what time even, yeah. really. <laughs> like, it could be just early 2000s. It could be now. We don't really know. Uh, the other reason is to talk about interpersonal things, like to talk about, you know, relationships, like right. uh and uh, this could have been that in a nice, in a really nice way, but it's not. There's nothing here. So why did you make this movie? Like, what did you, did you just want to make a movie so you could make a movie? And I, you know what? Look, Sidney Lumet will tell you exactly. there, that is right. reason enough to make a movie. Your first movie. It's reason enough to make your first movie. <laughs> yes. Yep. Absolutely. But beyond that, like what beyond, <laughs> beyond that, what, like what is the point of this movie? Beyond your own personal career, like when you hand this movie to someone, your idea, Sari, if somebody <laughs> handed you this movie mm-hmm. and said, without a podcast yeah. in mind, yeah. somebody <laughs> just did, said, yeah. watch this, like, what would you think? Like, I mean, what what would be your takeaway from this movie? What is it about? I feel like the only thing that I could begin to take away is that, like, these brothers needed to get over some problem with their dad that we don't know happened. Like that would be so. It's my an t- interpersonal, it's an interpersonal, familial yeah. thing. I think so. I think that is the thread that they tried to tie through. I can't imagine it being a commentary on society with this board game. I can't imagine it being maybe just like a campy, fun, goofy like this is a board game. There are zombies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look at these ghouls, uh, kind of thing. But I feel like they took it too seriously to make it that kind of yeah. B movie. Yeah. So, which is I guess a little it's a little frustrating to me because I think with all of the references that pop up, they're not even really specific references <laughs> with the exception of Nightmare. Uh they're they're just sort of like oh, the 80s and <laughs> VHS. And there's there it's it it seem it's it's driving me crazy because we're having this whole thing with Ready Player One right now, which is a book. To be fair, I have not read. I've just listened to a lot of people review it and talk about it, and it sounds like everything I hate in the world. Um, <laughs> which is well, like, it's it's funny because it's everything you love in the world yes. presented in a way that you would uh, absolutely uh, hate. Yes, <laughs> and I felt similar vibes coming from this, straight down to the almost the second the. Penultimate line in the film, which is, do you have anything from the 80s? <laughs> like, who asks that? Yeah. Like, what? Well, and I people think... who think they love the 80s, people who think they love a thing mm-hmm. 
and 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 they don't. They just love the idea of loving that thing. It's it the, pisses me off. It's that I. I mean, it's it's often accredited as as like the hipster vibe of it. Sure. And it's like that's not a word I'm I'm gonna like use in that context because I hate when people just apply that to anything. Yeah, but they don't like. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. and well, now it's actually been kind of replaced by millennial. Like it's kind of just like the go-to put-down term is millennial, and I feel like it's the same thing of like it's the guy who buys a Golden Girls shirt and never has seen a single episode of the Golden Girls, but he's like hey, Betty White, right? It's like that kind of mentality of a movie of just like no, but like VHS tapes, like people like those, right? And I feel like from the opening credits, I started to get that vibe of like yeah. the opening credits feels very Stranger Things. Oh, like the, the, the yeah. music is incredibly like. I was actually surprised at the quality of the music, to be fair. I was into but, it, actually. The, the music was playing, and I was like, okay. But it's so long. It's, oh, it's way the too opening long. credits is so incredibly long. <laughs> you know long. what that was? Our movie's only... Right, right, right. right. We right. have to be at least an hour and 20. But it was so long opening credits, and just it's all of the insides of a VCR. And it, that really felt to me like, okay, you didn't have a better idea to set the mood for this movie, so you just were like leaning into, like, remember tapes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those were a thing yeah. that existed. Yeah, it, I'm sure of it. It felt <laughs> to that end uh, that it was someone who had watched horror movies before but didn't understand how or why the good ones are good. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, I want to make a horror movie, I guess, and then threw in a bunch of elements, and that's as far. So, like, any of the three things that you listed, and there are probably other reasons, like subtle intersections of oh, all those. Oh, yeah, totally. To make, I did not list all yeah, of the reasons, yeah. but it, it's just... There are so many things that a horror movie could be, but this was... It felt like someone who was just like, yeah, I like them, so I'm going to mm-hmm. try to make one and not think about anything. Just right. like, this is horror, right? And, well, and, and I think they no. had a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the idea of the board game and the VHS board game is a good idea for a horror movie. Like, they made a horror movie out of Ouija boards. Like, this is a better idea than that. Mm -hmm. And even some of the concepts of the board game itself, like the cards and the people that they know being on the cards, I thought that was super creepy and was a good idea. It's not handled well, but it's presented as, like, they had a good one-page treatment for this movie. Sure. When they had to flush it out to a script, they had nothing beyond that. Paragraph. They had a paragraph. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. People some sticky notes. Serious sticky notes. Yeah. They had like that basic element of like two estranged brothers, one brings his girlfriend, their dad disappeared. Like pretty much your sixty second wrap up was all they had. And then they had to fill an hour and twenty. And I think you make a good point of like, if you watch those closing credits, it is the slowest moving closing credits <laughs> I've ever seen. And there's a lot of names, so you didn't like need to slow it down to like get everybody's name on there. Like it's I think literally to hit that hour twenty, they had to extend the opening credits <laughs> and extend the closing credits long enough so that they had a feature length movie. It's very possible. Um I wanna get on to now how we would each fix this. Um Tobin, I'd like to start with you. I'm assuming it's going to involve burning it. Yep. Okay. Well, <laughs> give it spark the lighter and let's get started. <laughs> yeah, you burn this down and you and back to that paragraph. I, I think this is how I would do it. Back to that paragraph summary, and then you make it. I loved your idea or your your, uh, 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 your reference to The Shining. If you made the story about this guy Gordon who had 
um, in much more specific way, left home from whatever problem he'd had with his dad and his brother and sort of reacting against his family and goes off and sort of avoids them for however many years and has a whole sort of other life and then comes back. And then if, if, the, if the movie is taking seriously and literally, literally the things that are happening to the people around him, then what if he's going crazy, maybe, or he's actually playing this game and this is, this is happening to him and he's having to sort of push through this thing because he has felt like he feel, feels like he's abandoned his dad. It's a survivor's to, guilt. Yeah, exactly. He has to come back and sort of redeem himself through doing this, but might also, by that token, be killing people around him. And people are saying, "Don't play this game anymore." And he's sneaking down the middle of the night to play the game when nobody's watching. And like there, and, and which then goes back to addiction. Exactly. Yeah. And may, and maybe in the course of that, going nuts, and then has to choose to kill his girlfriend or not in order to save his dad. But maybe he's just doing it because he's nuts. Like all of these things, if if you peg it to his experience and you and you and you connected the dots of, of any of the emotions logic there's just a this movie is that there's a failure of imagination at its at a, at a baseline in this movie and i think if you invest in that kind of thing and sort of build it around an actual character you could make the gordon character someone who's interesting to follow someone that we feel some connection to at the beginning and then begin to question his actions as it goes along that's what i would do with this movie yeah i, I don't disagree so yeah lack of imagination sari i loved what tobin said that was wonderful <laughs> so uh in order to not repeat and i really liked I think you mentioned Clue, so one of you two. That was Matt. Matt. Oh, yeah. Matt mentioned Clue. Um, and I would love to see them just really, really lean into the board game aspect of it. And, like, once the, maybe there's some, like, crossing the veil kind of thing where they can be mm. in the game reality or they can be in real reality and they have to navigate, like, their consequences in the real world versus in the game world. And I feel like that would add to the insanity a bit. Like, That's good. If you killed something in the game, does it have an effect on the world? If you kill someone in the real world, do you think it's the game, but actually you have this dead body you have to clean up? Um, but I think there was a scene where when the first key was revealed or they flipped over the first card, like a door unlocked mm-hmm. in their house the basement door unlocked and i really liked that i wish that there was some feeling of they were now trapped and they had to explore their house yeah. only as much as the game let them and that's what i thought it was going to be that's what i thought it was going to be <laughs> because they like they it's it's like they put the first key down and they hear the chunk and mm-hmm. it's like they remove it and they hear it lock again they're like yeah wait a minute wait a minute it's the thing it's yeah. doing it and then they don't carry it over. They don't, yeah. And as a fan of board games, I would love to see like a horror board game brought to real life, like where Fuck I had to yeah. explore <laughs> a mansion and like I found creepy right, things right. that I couldn't tell whether it was a game or if it was real or like what w- I was doing, what the game was doing for me. And I feel like that could be a really, really interesting psychological delve into both like the character exploration and how everyone reacts to being trapped in this way differently but also leaning into the this is a board game we are having we can we can bend the rules and like create our own fantasy reality by the rules of this game right that you've now inserted into the vcr and you take that three hundred thousand dollars and you use a small portion of it to hire some board game designers mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you go yeah. to fantasy yeah. flight games to make your game yeah. look like it's a real game or that even to make it a real game yeah like design yeah. a real game yeah and then that sell that shit yeah uh-huh yeah then you've yeah. got a tie-in yeah <laughs> merch but yeah. yeah so burn it to the ground and then build it back up uh in that way but the the thing that I would yeah. like to see is the game. Well, in a yeah. movie that's not very good, but does that part well of like the cordoning off places and having you go through a house in an inter- interesting way is the Thirteen Ghosts mm. movie with Matthew Lillard in it. 
um, where it's like this giant glass house that is built like a puzzle box. And within it, there are 13 ghosts trapped in different cells. And at different points throughout the movie, the house, the whole house like turns and moves like Mm. basically a Rubik's cube. And then like at the end of that, one of the cells has opened and one of the ghosts can get out and reach certain parts of the house. And you might be trapped in that certain part. Or if, if like the house starts moving again, you have to get to the other half of the house before you're trapped in this half with the ghost. And it's like that would have been really good if they would have worked that kind of thing into this movie. Yeah, separate the characters, force them to pro- <laughs> yes. solve problems on their own, <laughs> yeah. and then like come together with different knowledge, yes. and they, so they have a reason to have a conversation. <laughs> yes, uh, I mean it's Mansions of Madness. Yeah, it's it's Mansions of Madness, which is a is a terrific game that. You could easily make into a movie like this, and you wouldn't even have to call it Mansions of Madness. You can come up with your own shit. Yeah, it's not a good movie name. No, it's not. (laughs) Neither is Beyond the Gates. Well, no, maybe that is a great name. It would have been a better name if they went. Yeah, Beyond Beyond the the Gates. Gates. (laughs) Matt, how would you fix this movie? Uh, I have some very specific things that I had problems with or would redo to try and improve it because I think both of you have very good points about like burning it down, rewriting, restructuring some things. one, I think, uh, what's your face on the tape? I don't remember her name. Barbara Crampton. That's it. Uh, I, Barbara, if you're listening, I love <laughs> hey, you. what's up? You yeah. are on the podcast? You are really great. You're, you're a jewel, and you deserve better than this movie. Yes. I know that you produced it, oh. but uh, I don't know if you got a producer credit because they couldn't pay you or- Yeah, or uh, because you gave them money. Or whatever, but you are a goddamn legend, <laughs> and you deserve better than this movie. That being said, I'm going to recast you. Okay. Um, (laughs) I think someone that is enjoying their misery more Mm. would interest me. And I think... Would you want them to be active parts of the movie? What is... (laughs) What a novel idea. I think think they're like... The tape aspect of it should be one of the most interesting parts of it. But so early on, you realize before the characters do that the tape is clearly waiting for them and listening to them and reacting to them. Whereas, like, that's not how these games work. The first five minutes of playing that game should be like, oh, wait, it's moving on to the next thing. We have to keep up with it. And then it starts to listen to them. Mm -hmm. But I feel like once they realize they're in trouble, instead of the character staring blankly out of the TV waiting for them to react, I want that character to be laughing at them and being like, oh, you you thought you were going to win. Ha, 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 ha. And or suggesting or other awful things that yes. are to come. Something. Yeah, and to so be fair. So you have that moment, you're like, oh. My, my uh, casting choice for this has played a role like this in another movie. So it would be a little too maybe referential. But I want Sid Haig. Oh, yeah, there you go. Who played this role essentially in House of a Thousand Corpses of just like setting people up for misery and knowing exactly what's about to happen to them and then like enjoying it when it does happen. And I think having Sid Haig in that TV being creepy and crazy <laughs> yelling at them would be amazing. Uh, I a couple, just like Sid Haig. He is a good, good man. Um, I don't know. I can't speak for him as a human. Yeah, I can't either. As an just, actor, he's very enjoyable. I've seen him in some real low budget stuff where yeah. he's still fun. Yeah. Um, but other things, uh, I hate to do this to the movie because it, feels like a, a bad move in general for any film, but I would cut out the girlfriend character entirely. Um, partially because the movie doesn't give her anything to do anyways. Like, she is there to be put in peril. Mm-hmm. That is her role in this movie. She does not get to really help them, except she, like, stabs one zombie. But she does, she does not really matter to this plot. 
And she's not even put in peril in like an interesting way. There are no. so many tropes that can be used for girls in horror yes. movies, and she's not any of them. Had they really? put her in peril in the way we talked about earlier of like actually make it seem like she might die, that could have been more of a thing. But they don't. So I think you can get more of that interpersonal relationship of the two brothers dealing with their shit if you leave her out of this. If you don't have him bringing the girlfriend with him to this thing. It's like just two brothers show up. They're alone at their dad's house. They have to deal with each other. They have to deal with the situation they're in. There's no ambient going to sleep scenes every five minutes. And <laughs> I think you can still That's do. That's a real thing in like, this movie. There is yeah, so, yeah. I feel like this movie is like produced by Ambien. Like, <laughs> yeah. Made possible with a generous grant yeah. from And I don't Ambien. know why, because it's like, is that why she just, that's her their excuse to make her sleep through all the scary I stuff? I think so. That's oh, it? Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. that. Was, she talks about how heavy she sleeps. And yeah. then there's one time where he freaks the fuck out because he had a bad nightmare about her like stabbing him. And she's still and asleep. And she's sleeping there. And I'm like, yeah. oh, the Ambien's working. Huh. That's it. That um, was the only thing I could think of. So my workaround (laughs) for this is like you can keep the board game the same. The third card is still the fair maiden. Without the girlfriend, the way you set this up is earlier in the movie, they can still go out to eat. They can meet Hank, whatever. While they're there, they run into Sally Joe, who was Gordon's crush when he was in high school. She was the prom queen. She was whatever. She was the girl he was always in love with. And she never gave him the, the time of day. But now she seems like Maybe she's kind of into him. And he has this thing of like that that vibe of like, mm-hmm. I came back to my hometown expecting nothing mm-hmm. but sadness, misery, dealing with my dad's death. death. And now like this girl's here. She's kind of into me. That's interesting. And then we kind of let her fade away. We kind of forget about her maybe a little mm-hmm. bit until they turn over the maiden card. And they're like, what does this mean? What, what is this? And they find her in trouble. And then he has to deal with it of like potentially killing this girl that he has this crush on who like he has a relationship with not a deep relationship but enough that he doesn't want to like easily kill her and I think that's a way where you can keep the maiden character card in without having the girlfriend around doing nothing so yeah that's what I would do also put some noise or grain over your text in your opening credits because it looks like it's made in Photoshop, and I hate it. You know, all of these are wonderful ideas. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go a different route and just say that even with what you have here, there are two things I would do. I mean, still at the scripting stage, though. And that is, one, there's a reason that B-grade horror movies, especially from the 80s, are so well-remembered. It's usually because they were fun Mm-hmm. There was there was whimsy to them. There was wit. This movie is witless. <laughs> there's like a couple of jokes. And then there are moments throughout the film where it's like, joke. No, no, there's no joke. There, no. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess we're make yeah. this movie fun. Make make it. Th- this is the time. We are now in an era where you can be, um, you know, uh, self-referential and you you can be witty in films like this and it can help to diffuse situations but then it can also really be turned on its head when you're in a witty moment and then suddenly it gets gravely serious so I think just thinking about this in terms of like audience and what your audience would enjoy to actually see and how you're leading them through how you're telling this story through these characters because Johnny seems like a person who would be that person who would be because he starts out that way making those jokes Mm -hmm. 
And there's just none of that. As the film goes on, it just gets more dull well, and he turns drier. Into the, Did you just see that? Yeah. Guy? Like, like what, everything that happens to them, he's the one who's like, so, Did you hear yeah. that? Yeah. Did you see that? Can you believe that just fucking happened? It's like, that's his role in every scene. Mm-hmm. And then Gordon's like, yeah, that is, I did see that. And they're like, let's go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a thing. It's like, they've been, well, I guess I'm going back to bed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, I would lean into the gore. I would, I would just try to make this more horrifying. But I also, I kind of latched on to your idea. Like, I don't want to cut out women characters from things. That's why I feel bad about my yeah. idea. But like, if you're going to give her the same amount, if you're going to give the the like the woman character in this movie the like, same amount of screen time and relevance, like I feel like at least don't make it the girlfriend he's ignoring for the whole movie. No, I, my my thing is like even though I don't want to do that, I, I see exactly where you're coming from, and I like the idea of him meeting someone there. Or having a long-term relationship with someone. Either way, it just needs to be woven in more. And I also think there needs to be that person for Johnny, whether it's his best friend or something, so that they're all trapped in the house and they all have to do this. So that way that when something happens to one of them, it's like, oh, no. I thought for sure the cop was going to end up playing the game with that. Yeah, I did And too. he was going to get brought into the situation that he didn't expect to be in. He's not really involved with. And so he's going to be the one who's like, I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving. You guys want to deal with your dad stuff? That's not on me. I'm out. Right. And, and then, then he, he can try dying. to use his CB and it doesn't work. Right. Like yes. anything. Because right. right. there's a point where he looks out the window and it's just seeing color, colored lights flashing at him. And it's like, okay, I get it. Low budget. You're trying to say we're in another dimension. That's fine. But it would have been really good to have somebody in there going, no, no, no. We have a phone. We need to make a call. No. <laughs> flip open yourself. No. Okay. Well, we got to. Okay. I'm going to use my CB. Okay. Holy shit. We're fucked. Right, yeah. Right, right, like right. that. None of that's present. <laughs> and I just remembered the. One of my least favorite moments is when they do go into the upside down uh, <laughs> is they uh, the first thing for some reason Johnny has the idea to do is to unplug the TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he runs over and tries to unplug the TV to like get it off the screen. And of course it doesn't work. But it's one of those moments again where it's like we saw this in a horror movie yep. once mm-hmm. in Poltergeist right. probably. And it didn't work there. So it's not going to work here. Poltergeist, Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yeah. But like, it's like effective movies there is no reason to believe that that's going to do anything but yeah he still goes and well, does it's, it. it's at that point too where it's like you guys know what's happening here yeah. we all know what's happening here we we, we know right this this is otherworldly you guys needed to be on board yeah. 30 minutes ago <laughs> there are, there are so many waves of like they accept something as like <laughs> oh this is fucking crazy we just found a bloody voodoo doll and we dug a key out our friend's dead what's happening and then like the next scene they're like wait what that can happen? And I'm like, yes, the board game spoke to you. Yes. <laughs> you should probably right. freak out and assume that everything from here on is because of the scary board game. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's it for me, really. I, w- I would just, like, I-, I think lean into things. On that note, we're going to move on to how we rate these things. I rate all of these films based on categories like Storms. A one being, eh, it's a little rainstorm, it's fine. And a category five could kill you. This is a four because it made me so angry i was i was so angry i immediately wanted to do a real bad episode about it i immediately tried to get tobin on but he couldn't that week so i postponed it because i was like no we have to talk about this because people need to understand what's wrong with this that it's not just oh it doesn't work like no 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 you had all the pieces You had so many usable pieces here. You had not the worst actors. Right. You had a, a decent cinematographer, at least. Like, there were some really effective shots, good 
technical directing, but like they're just it's there's nothing mm-hmm. here. And how dare you <laughs> give me nothing? I gave you an hour and 30 minutes. Twice. Which, twice. <laughs> which felt like. I gave you a Lord of the Rings and you this gave me thing nothing. Felt like it was Dr. Zhivago length. It felt like it yeah, was five it hours long. long. Yeah. And I was rewarded with nothing. <laughs> it, w- it it And that above all else, it, I agree with you. Like the worst thing you can be is boring. Mm-hmm. And this thing was boring. So it's a category four. <laughs> I'm angry. Matt? I feel like this episode has had the most grunts of any episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just frustrated blahs. Um, yeah, I also, as you've heard, uh, did not enjoy this movie very much and had a lot of issues with it. But I agree with the same things you were saying about, like, it is, like, shot well enough. And it does seem like a good, like, thesis film from a film student. Yeah. Of, like, if this came out mm-hmm. of a film school, you're like, good job, dude. Shows promise. Don't write your own things, though. Go find a different script. <laughs> or, like, I mean, maybe. Like, maybe the next one will be better. Like, that's that's my hope of, like, okay, maybe the person has watched this movie back and they know all the same things we know about it. They can – they're self-aware enough that they can pick it apart and go, yeah, nope, that's true. That's yeah. – I'll change that next time. Um, I don't know – a lot of times we talk about on this show, like, we know the production history of a film. We know – why it's bad. We know yeah. why it didn't succeed. We know who quit in the middle of the movie and they had to replace and all that stuff. This one we don't know anything about. Partially because it's so new. It is so new, but also like none of us watched the Blu-ray with commentary to find right, out yeah. why they made choices. I'd be fascinated actually to do that. I actually would too. But I'll tell you guys about it. You don't have to watch it. Yeah, you, you'll watch <laughs> it the third time. Third time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just uh, like put it like a podcast. Like don't <laughs> don't watch it. Just listen. Um, but yeah, so I when I started watching this movie, the main thing I got like 10, 15 minutes in and it felt promising and it felt like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be a bad movie. Like it didn't feel at the beginning like something that deserved to be on the podcast. Or what kind of bad movie is this going to be? Right. Right. Like, and yeah. like that, I think that's because like in the first 10 minutes you get to see that like, OK, it's shot well. Like none of these actors are that bad. Like you, there's a little bit of tension. Like the dad being missing is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Like all that first like 10, 15 minutes is interesting. And then it just nothing comes of any of it. Well, and I want to be very clear here. And I think this is something I don't know if I've really talked about it very much, but I feel like it's something that we don't talk about much in in the broader sense of cinema, this director knew where the camera needed to be. Mm-hmm. Now that is a skill. And a lot of these bad movies, the director does not know mm-hmm. where right. the camera needs to be. And that's interesting to me. So yeah, just the whole thing. It's like, there was never a point where I'm like, why are we looking at this? Like mm-hmm. it knew exactly where I it would needed to be. Kill for an insert of that VHS tape. Like when they're like putting it in the, v- the VCR for the first time, when they're like really like mm-hmm. you get a little shot of it as it's like in there with like the, the handwritten title or oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. show this tape like it is a magical thing. Yeah. Like they can't like they take it out and they just stare at it like what the fuck is this thing? <laughs> like that tape is like the most important thing. Like true, in not this... the box. No, the yeah. box doesn't matter. The <laughs> game doesn't matter. The pieces don't matter. The the tape is what's causing this interaction. So like, sure. make that's it a seem really good important. Point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually like, a very good point. Yep, I hadn't yep. thought about that. Like, yep. and they just casually just like uh, eject the tape, stop the tape, and they walk away. And it's like, 
to it, go to bed. It's yeah, <laughs> they do that like three times. <laughs> so this movie gets a two out of five out of the enjoyment scale of the possessed mushroom puppets. So two out of five. We're similar. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's down there. It's not the worst thing. It's not things. It's not Manos. It's uh, <laughs> but it's still pretty bad. Tobin. So I rate on the Torgo scale, one to five Torgos. Each Torgo being, is there how much is there in this movie to recommend? And I didn't hate this movie as much as you did. I didn't hate this movie as much as what was that one that we watched about the boy band one? Oh, <laughs> Dead Seven. That one made me so mad. This one did not make me that that angry. This um, movie doesn't feel lazy. Yeah, not in the same way. Not in the same way. Not in the same way. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I. So I would give this uh, like. Two Torgos, like one maybe for the premise, and one I did. I did. You know, John is giving us <laughs> all I could grab onto uh, for an actor <laughs> in this movie. So uh, yeah, so I'd give this uh, give this two Torgos. I, I would add two since we're adding now things to the. I, I would add some zooms to this movie. This feels like some like um, Exorcist style, like we're in a scene and the camera starts to zoom in on things slowly. That's the thing that I think would as easy I'm fix. Sort of really interested what your real good's going to be because I feel like we're going to. Oh, really? I've real... changed mine, so we, so oh. it won't be the same. So. But anyway, I do okay. feel like it's uh, this is like I just latch on because I, I've heard him talk about this a lot. This is like a criticism of early Kevin Smith movies: is that every every shot is a tripod that never moves, right? Right. And like that's what this feels like: is it's also an early filmmaker thing yeah. of like you set up the camera and you're like, it looks pretty, walk away, yeah. And like no one's zooming or panning or dollying mm-hmm. really. Uh, and, and, and that can be yeah. effective. You can have yeah, movies right, where that. things yeah. are locked off. And you imagine if this was uh, the, our ideas of uh, them all being locked in the house, and like you mm-hmm. could do something with that. It just felt to me like I don't know. Maybe I was just need, I needed. I was looking for something like some zooms would have been. <laughs> well, I think, I think you, you and Sari both talked about like now the the house feeling like you're trapped or like that. Like I never for a second felt like they couldn't walk out the front right, door right. to the yes. neighbor's house and yeah. go like. No, they, but have they you sh- seen our dad? We were wishing that they it had felt felt that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I love a trapped in a house. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Give so. me a Beetlejuice type scene where they open the door <laughs> and they go to walk out confidently, and they just are in another world. And they're like, "What happened?" Like, shit, get, get back in the house. Yeah, yeah. There's sandworms out here. <laughs> like they go beyond the gates, maybe? Yeah. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> Show us what's yeah. beyond the gates. Sari, how would you rate this movie? So I've dug myself into a deep pit of despair uh, with my rating system. It is if I could take either one copy or every copy of the movie and throw it in a type of trash can, what would that trash can be? Um, And so this one is actually, I've changed my opinion throughout this conversation. Um, And I think I would just like take all the copies, stick them in a dusty cardboard box and like chucking in a dump but maybe someday someone might like be crawling through and find it as a, like a relic of the past and put it in and watch it again god they used to make such boring movies yeah some the creepy shopkeeper will hand it to a guy who uh-huh. says do you have anything from the aughts <laughs> do you like yeah. board game movies um, really meta yeah. maybe I thought board was spelled B-O-R-E-D Ooh. yeah Ooh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was really struck by the fact that you and Tobin had a conversation that Tobin had shown it to a screenwriting class because I feel like that's brought it up, brought it up, (laughs) but it also felt like a, like in a beginning fiction workshop that I would have been in being like, this is someone's first, first draft of a story. And they like clearly have things that they're going for. And I think like someone could watch it and you could be a really good teaching tool. Like this is how not to do a horror movie because they don't have a point to it. So 
let's sit down and figure out how to take this premise and make it good. And I think that's a really interesting exercise. I would uh, love to see this film remade in 20 years. Like that would be interesting because they do that. You know, they'll mm-hmm. take they're taking crap horror movies and remaking they're becoming interesting I think a studio could take this now well yeah that's a good point (laughs) and make it better like make a Netflix series out of it just eight episodes trapped in a video game or a board game I'm cool with an hour and 20 (laughs) (laughs) this uh, I I do need to agree because I've stopped watching even Marvel series because I'm like that's too much content I can't (laughs) keep up anymore but I'll watch West Wing for a third time (laughs) (laughs) um Great. So I guess it's time to move on to our real good. This is a section of the podcast where we recommend a movie to you to try to get the taste out of your mouth from this movie, whatever it may be. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Mm-hmm. What's your real good? I'm going completely away from horror or anything, uh, but something that brings up nostalgia elements and I think it plays into the like, let's be campy about this and lean into the game aspect of it, which is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh, Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's based on a comic by Brian Lee O'Malley. Um, it's just very fun. The premise of the movie is that Scott Pilgrim is in love with this girl, Ramona Flowers, and she has seven evil exes that he has to defeat before he can date her. And it's just, it makes a lot of video game references. Everything is like, like he has an extra life. He gets an extra life. He uh, When he defeats people, coins come flying out, <laughs> like an old arcade game. It's just like very fun and it is a character piece. It's like we have all these like very weird, unique like boss battles yep. that we're going to do and we're going to throw them in. We're going to make everything into an individual level within the movie. They're going to have this scene and then they're going to move on to the next one and they're just like having a good time. It's Edgar Wright, man. And uh, the rules yeah. are so clear. Yes. Like, yes. The rules aren't clear at the beginning because the characters don't know the rules. Right. But as right. they learn them. Which is just they, like a video game. They, yes. <laughs> right, right. But they stick to the rules throughout the, like, throughout the, the I didn't say the game, throughout the movie of the the game world. And it's like, that is one thing that it does incredibly well that this movie does not. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. Chris Evans is in it. Is it an incredible. Yes. <laughs> There's so many good actors in it. I know. Yeah. Brandon Routh's great in it. Like, yep. it's... <sighs> yeah. I also I have I mean I don't I don't crush on celebrities very often but Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I <laughs> ever since that and then and she was in the remake of the thing which I don't really the prequel remake of the thing which yeah. I don't really like but I liked her in it a lot. So She's really good. Yeah, she's yeah. just yeah. really really good. Michael Sarah, Aubrey Plaza, like mm-hmm. Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. Uh, who uh, Brie Larson. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like so many good people who are like right now like still doing really big stuff are in that movie and it's so good it's uh, it's really a lot of fun it's a film i didn't really enjoy the first time i saw it i saw it a second time and i loved it mm-hmm. which is often what happens to me with edgar wright films mm. i saw Shaun of the dead and i was kind of like oh i don't know and then i saw it again and i was like this is one of the greatest movies i've ever seen <laughs> yeah. then uh hot fuzz same thing uh and then um world's end also same thing first time i was kind of like ah, it went a little darker than i thought i was <laughs> and then i walked and i saw it again i was like no this is amazing so yeah I don't know why that is with Edgar Wright films. Maybe just because there's so much going on. Yeah, yeah. Like the frame is They're so busy, deep. Real busy, yeah. Everything is just so deep with him. So yeah, excellent. Tobin, one of the first things I did thinking about what might be real good. I wanted to see how much this movie cost. We've already said it was. Th- uh, it's listed as a three hundred thousand dollar budget. So I was looking for another movie that was that. Uh, I still don't quite know where that money was yeah. spent. I, I honestly don't. And it was so. This isn't my real good because every, everybody has seen it. But I'm going to mention it anyway because it's made it was made at the same price point in 1978, which is Halloween. 
Which was holy a, shit. Yep. And, there, and there's a movie that takes, and again, this, and that's 1977 or $78, you know, yeah. $300,000. But, but that's a movie that, that has a lot of imagination and a lot of craft and invests in, and, and it has a point of view. And, but, but, but I, my real good is going to be a movie that, that maybe people haven't seen called the house of the devil. The Ty West movie? It keeps, is it Netflix or something keeps recommending, maybe it's Amazon, keeps oh, recommending so. me to see, to buy it, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. You should watch it. It's, it's a, so it's a, a, a movie set in the 80s, made in the style of an 80s movie, but, but it was, I think it was made in like 2009 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, to the point they released the um, DVD of it in an old puffy uh, VHS oh, clamshell? <laughs> clamshell case. Nice. Um, and it, it's a very oddly paced movie and, but, but, uh, Ty West, I think, is a really, really good lower budget um, horror filmmaker, uh, and that is my favorite of his movies. And I think it's one pe- more people should see. And 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 he's working with a bigger budget than this movie, um, but he always has a real, real clear point of view, and I think it uh, uh, it shows. Excellent, Matt. What's your real good? Uh, I had a few in mind while watching it, and then I realized the more we talked about this, that all the things that this didn't do well or that we wish it did better the same movie kept popping into my head that I was like, well, it does lean into the campiness. It does lean into the self-referential. It does lean into the gore. It does lean into the genuinely scary. And it's a movie I think I've recommended before on this podcast, but Cabin in the Woods. That was close to what I I almost Mm -hmm. did that one. it's so fucking good. And if we're going to talk about casts again, like you have Chris Hemsworth, (laughs) Bradley Whitford, like all these people in this movie. And it's just, I don't think Bradley Whitford's ever been better. He is something special in that movie. I mean, he's real good in Get Out. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's real good. I think Bradley Whitford's good in everything. He's real good in The Post, (laughs) a movie that I didn't really care for, but he's real good in it. Is it Richard Jenkins in... Yeah, he's Cabin like his co-worker. Yeah, Those yeah. two together That's yeah. what it, are just they're, they're so good. Their chemistry is great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Amy but, Acker is the third person, and they're just all three <laughs> so good. That movie just so, like, you don't know... If you don't, if you've never seen it, I don't want to spoil too much no. about it because yeah, yeah. it is a movie that I went into very luckily in the theaters, went and saw it without knowing anything about it, and I was like ten minutes in, I'm like, I love this movie <laughs> because the moment like the twist of it is revealed, which is very early on. It's very early on. It's like maybe the first or second second scene, third scene, something like that. It's like happens and you're just like what's happening and then you realize that you're like i'm in and then there's still more to unfold (laughs) oh absolutely and Mm -hmm. it all comes together really well and they lean in in every way that this movie doesn't absolutely they are referencing every other horror movie that's ever existed in the best way possible and it is just a it's not even like there is tons of gore lots of people die but especially the end is gore yes there is so much gore (laughs) but it is done in a very campy, referential way that you cannot help but laugh at some of it. Yeah. And I still feel like there are moments, though, where there's genuinely, like, scary, terrifying oh, yeah. scenes in there. And so it goes in all directions, but is handled incredibly well. That is ah, that is possibly one of the most just... It, to use this term in the most generic way possible, the most effective movies, the humor's effective, the horror's effective, the plot twists are effective, the acting's effective, like every single part of that is it just firing on all cylinders. And I think yeah. it's prime Whedon. Like that is yeah. him and, uh, ooh, can't remember the co-writer's name. Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard, yep. uh, who wrote The Martian, right. um, the screenplay, not the book. Um I think that's them both working at their highest level. Like, and it is a movie, like we said, uh, for this one, where 
movies can swerve away from what you think is going to happen. And that is a movie that plays with those expectations perfectly. It sets itself up as a standard cabin in the woods (laughs) horror movie, and that's what you think you're going to get. You think you're getting an Evil Dead homage, and you kind of do, but also it takes it in... 15 different directions. <laughs> well, and like even immediately, it's like 180 degrees in the other direction. You're like, I don't know what's about to happen for the rest of this movie. Like as soon as the twist is revealed five minutes in, you don't know what to expect for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And so that way, everything that happens in this movie, you think you might have an idea. And then, of course, that's not what happens. Yeah. So Because they yeah. do and they've thought it all through and all the characters yes. connect to one another and there is underlying logic between it and it carries from yeah. scene to scene. And, and even within the movie, <laughs> they've thought it all yeah, through. Yeah, right. And they right. know everything that can happen. Right. And, and it is about something. Right. Like that movie is – it has a driving thematic core that yeah. is – that's one of my favorite things is when a film has a thematic core to it that it holds on to and that it's trying to say something. Mm -hmm. I don't, you don't always need that. Like you don't, you can have as again, Sidney Lumet would say that's um, melodrama. Mm -hmm. And so you have murder on the Orient express is not thematically necessarily about anything. It's just a great whodunit Mm -hmm. and it can be that, but man, your plot better be good (laughs) and entertaining for that to, for that to be the case. And Beyond the Gates was not that. <laughs> so my real good, I wanted to, as soon as I started watching this, I, I knew what I wanted to recommend. And it comes from a place of, I wanted, once I found out this was $300,000, I was like, okay, that's fairly cheap. I need to figure out how much this other movie is that was also not a great movie. It's a movie called The Void. Ooh, and wow. uh, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but it is not a great movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. It was crowdfunded, and I want to say that their final budget tally was between eighty and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That, when you watch that movie, is goddamn shocking, right? Because right. the amount of practical effects in there, the amount of gore, the amount of atmosphere that they build in that movie is really impressive. Especially when you start to realize how much they spent or didn't spend. On things, And you know what? I don't think the ensemble cast is as strong a group of actors as we're in Beyond the Gates, but I liked and enjoyed those characters far more. Uh, there's one character in The Void played by an old man who is just he's not very believable. He's just not a good actor. But he didn't care. He he served the story. And that was what you needed for that character. So and it, it's a fascinating movie. Now, the two people who directed it, one of them comes from an effects background. So he had some knowledge of how to make effects work. He'd been around cinema for a while. So, you know, benefit of the doubt right. there. But still, at the end of the day, I don't care how hard it was to make a movie. <laughs> I only care about what that movie gives me. Right. And this movie gave me some legitimate scares. Like there were a few there's uh, when they introduce a monster the first time where I was like really kind of shuddering like this is not good. This is un- I am unhappy <laughs> about what is happening in this film right now on screen and I want them to get away like it. And that's a powerful thing. I think that's especially in the world of digital technology. I think it's become something that's a little harder to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it's done with sound design. It's done with practical effects. It's done with lighting. And I found it really creative and interesting. It's also a cosmic horror film. And I I find those to be pretty rare. And I am partial to cosmic horror. But yeah, if you have the chance and you can stomach it, because it is a gory film, check out The Void. 
and I, you know, we were talking about how this, how Beyond the Gates needed a little bit more humor. This movie also has more humor and it has more moments of levity in it, even though it's a much darker, more upsetting story. There's a moment where the main character, a cop, is out at his car and all of this weird shit's been going on. She's like, well, I got to get back into my car to see if a CB will work out there because the CB stopped working in the hospital that they're in. And he looks across and there's someone standing and he just, there's this moment of pause and then he goes, Hi, <laughs> you know, and it's like he's just trying to be a good guy, you know, and but also I like smart characters and all these characters very early on are like, I don't know what's happening, but something's happening and we need to deal with it. And that is something that I really missed from beyond the gates is it's like you people aren't on the same page. You need to be. You need to be understanding that something bad is happening. And regardless of whether or not you believe in metaphysical bullshit, something is obviously happening and you need to figure it out. Right. And instead they go to bed. That's, again, like, I know we keep harping on that. But like, <laughs> re the reality of finding out your dad is trapped in a board game and you going, oh, we can deal with this tomorrow, right? Like, that's <laughs> nuts. Nuts. Well, it's like... They don't care about the stakes, so why should we? Right. Yeah. If you can yes. go to bed and sleep soundly, why should I feel afraid about what's going on yeah, in your movie? Yeah, that is a great point. I don't point. care yes. if you win or lose this game because you don't care if your dad is alive That's or dead, point. really. Excellent. Uh, thank you guys for coming on and talking about this boring slog of a movie. I really appreciate it. And I feel like I learned a lot by talking to you all. So that was uh, really great. Uh, Sari, where can people find you? Best place is Twitter at C.E. Riley. And you won a Hugo, didn't you? <laughs> <I work. laughs> Just drop that in yeah, there. Uh, I, I'm an editorial assistant on a comic that won a Hugo. So you won a Hugo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that counts. That counts. My name is in the book. That's about it. I do editorial but it's like on the stuff. front page of the book yeah that's very cool like anytime i'm in the comic shop i like open up a copy of monstrous <laughs> and i'm like i know her <laughs> <laughs> so it's a comic named monstrous it's a comic named monstrous published by image uh there are two volumes out right now and we're on issue issue 15 was just released i feel like we buried the lead should have said that up front for you i'm yeah. sorry no, i mean okay. the lead was you won a hugo <laughs> well, so <laughs> good job <laughs> Um, excellent. Tobin, where can people find you? They can also, they can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington. Uh, and I have a podcast called The Contenders with my sister, uh, which is about uh, movies by uh, and starring strong female characters, strong women. Uh, Nick's going to be on an episode coming up very soon. Uh, based on I hope so. In like a week or so after you, after this podcast drops. Yes. Uh, and you can find us at contenders underscore pod. Talking on about Twitter. one of my favorite movies. That perhaps Iceland did not understand it is, why it is going to be a very interesting. I'm in the middle of editing it, and there's there's fights going on in the podcast. It's going to be well worth. It, it was like watching. If if you guys had been in the room, it was like I felt like I was watching a tennis match. Oh, I was just going. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Iceland and I are very close, and as you, if you have close siblings, know that like sometimes that can turn into. Oh you man, know, like we 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 went we went at it a little bit. But it was like wild. Johnny and Gordon, but, <laughs> the best of siblings. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, we're all better now. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, How Matt, many Hugos have you won? Zero. Uh, <laughs> no nominations, no wins. <laughs> Matt, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, mostly on Twitter at Matthew Gatos. 
uh, or you can watch the channels on YouTube that I produce. There is Nature League, which is a new, real fun one. Uh, and then there's Animal Wonders, The Financial Diet, and Sexplanations. Boom. And uh, if you'd like to keep up with everything that we're doing, you can find us on Twitter at RealBadPod. If you want to follow my stream of consciousness t- Twitter, you can do that too, at NG Jenkins. Uh, it's not very much fun, but you do get occasional <laughs> corgi pictures. Yeah. So that might be worth it to you. I don't know. It is. Um, Brian's my day. <laughs> uh, well, good. <laughs> She's just very bored right now looking at all of us. Like, are you done yet? Good. She had to watch the movie twice, too. Right? She did. Oh, no. Abby, <laughs> I'm sorry. Abby. One time she was just getting over some anesthesia. She was, she was a little loopy. <laughs> Maybe that made it That's better. That's the way to do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she seemed, she was, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> Real Bad is part of the Cage Club Network. You can go to cageclub.me to find out more about our friends uh, my favorites right now of course the contenders and uh, Winona Forever which is a journey through the entire filmography of Winona Ryder which is uh, incredible so definitely go check those out and I want to thanks to uh, and I want to thank my god damn it <laughs> it's the end you're oh, almost there for god's sakes thank you to Cage Club for uh, just being a great network and taking us on it's been uh, a wonderful experience so far and uh yeah, so that's pretty much it. So don't know what we're doing next week. I have some ideas of things that I want to do, uh, but we need to see about schedule because this is a terrible time for everybody because everybody's <laughs> traveling apparently. So we'll see what happens. Until then, this has been Real Bad. Real Bad.